0: Hey, hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Chasing 100 podcast. Today we have on with us a really good friend of mine, his name is Dun Lovely. Hello. How are you? How have you been doing?
1: Yeah, I've been good, I've been good, I've been... Keeping yeah, well. keeping busy.
0: Yep, sure I have been.
1: I've been, um... If anything, quarantine has been working quite well for me, because I was going to be quarantined myself anyway. And... um
0: I'd say, I'd say it works well for musicians, all right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it seems to. Um, there, there are a few of my friends now that I've spoken to. They've been suffering with writer's block a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's been getting them down a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, it seems like everyone's a lot more a lot more creative out there on the social medias at the minute. Um, yeah. I'm happy with where things are at the minute. It's, it's a tough time, but, you know, things are working out. For me anyway. Of course, yeah. Um yeah.
0: Fair enough. So yeah, Dunlovey's a Don Dunlovely is a musician, excuse me. And uh maybe you just tell everyone where the name Dunlovely came from, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> it actually initially came from the Cycle Superstore. Um a bike shop that I used to work in. <laughs> yeah. Um Lovely is just it's just what I was sort of called um it, it it developed over a couple of years just everyone at work would call me Mr Lovely, and um yeah it's not necessarily unique to me either um my brothers got called it when they went in for work experience um my name is Levy, so it, it's just sort of a a nickname because we're just such such lovely people you know and um
0: yeah. So it's a family nickname.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. For the most part, anyway. Um, my, I know my cousin has called it by her friends as well, and um, yep. Yeah, and I just thought it was always a funny sort of take on, you know, some such more serious solo names like Seal, <laughs> or like like Akon or something like that. Um. So yeah, I just thought it'd be good for the music industry. Yeah, it's
0: like how Lord's real name is like. Ella or something Like how do, yeah. you, how do you get Lord from Whatever Sarah Or Ella or whatever
1: Yeah exactly Exactly
0: but, uh, Yeah you've you've always been musical As long as I've known you anyway Um Uh huh Yeah
1: Yeah for the most part anyway
0: You went on You studied it in college.
1: Yeah I studied I studied music technology In Maynooth University And um yeah, I've uh, I've been music musical from quite a young age. I suppose I started playing music for the first time when I was seven, and um, when I asked my mum if I could start learning to play the violin, and um, yeah, you know, as as the great woman that she is, she took me very seriously at a young age of seven, and um, she she bought me a violin, and uh, so I started that when I was seven, and then she moved. When I was, I think, I think a year later, when I was about eight, I enrolled in piano lessons. And uh, the piano lessons, I didn't stick at piano for too long. I, I did piano for about two years, maybe. Um, I don't know. Just my the re- the reason I quit is just because my piano teacher, she was just Sam. Uh, she was just very a bit. She was a bit shy. I'd, yeah, she was just a bit shy, to I'm honest. Um, she... Not that she wasn't a good pianist or anything like that. She was a very, very good player. But uh, she um, she was just really strict, and she used to get really angry at you for playing wrong notes. And as a scared young eight-year-old that I was, I used to be fucking scared to go to practice, because I'd play a wrong note, and then she'd just be like, No, that is wrong! <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. I... I quit piano probably at about the age of 10. Then I picked up the guitar at the age of 13. I think I got one for Christmas when I was like 11. And it sat in my room, I think. I learned how to play like Smoke on the Water when I was like 11. And then it just sat in my room. And then at the age of 13, I just uh, started learning how to play off YouTube tutorials. And then that slowly developed into just sort of figuring out how to learn things by your ear and yeah um it would have been sort of around that time as well that I started looking into production um I think if you go onto my SoundCloud you <laughs> can find a very um <laughs> juvenile production I suppose that doesn't really make that much sense Suppose it was it was a uh, the first piece of production I ever made was a cover of an Ellie Goulding song um I think it's called Hearts Without Chains. And I did it on Audacity. And I bought a... I bought, like, a podcast mic. It was, like, a, a, a USB interface mic, so you don't have to buy, like, a mixing desk or anything. You just plug it straight in. And I recorded all of the, the drum parts with, like, a cajon. And then, like, just a Yamaha little keyboard that um, had, like, a lot of weird sounds on it. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was class <laughs> when I made it. It wasn't, like wasn't terrible, I suppose, looking back on it for, given that I knew fuck all about production. <laughs> but, wait, oh yeah, are we let's swear? This is going to be like a... Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this, this is my podcast. Okay, no good. way I'd get through without dropping a few F-bombs.
1: Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um. So, yeah, then when I was about <clears throat> I'm going to say 14, Um, I essentially... Um, borrowed my mom's laptop indefinitely and um, I downloaded a cracked copy of FL Studio. Um, which is, if anyone knows, it's kind of like a, it's marketed quite well as like a DJ software. Um, just because it's extremely easy to get what sounds like actual music coming out of your computer within a few minutes. But, um, yeah, because of that, I suppose it has a pretty bad name in the music industry because it's sort of looked at as like a, um, a basic software, excuse me. But it's actually, yeah, I can do everything that I, every other software can do. Um, and then uh, I suppose I started producing loads of little little DJ bits, I think, for, for about four years, I thought I was going to be the next Avicii. <laughs> um, I posted a lot of... Sort of EDM, sort of house style tracks on SoundCloud. Then, um. That changed. That did change quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I never, like, I've grown up and stuff, I've always listened to folk music and indie music and, um, sort of a little bit of alt rock and stuff, but mostly, um, like, I, I really, really like that sort of Irish indie sound, um, I think over the summer, we all were describing it as um, O2 ad sound. <laughs> you know, <like> that. <laughs> yeah, sort that's a playlist, it. actually, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've yeah. got a Spotify yeah. playlist called O2 ads. It's um, I think it's one of my best. It's uh, and yeah. some of them aren't even on O2 ads, but it's all that kind of a all that kind of a vibe. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> so yeah, and eventually I started producing. I think the first song I ever produced was was part of the first ever release. It was an EP that I put up on Spotify, uh, called "Sword Fighting," and I think it's probably definitely my like top two or three favorite songs that I've put out. It's my favorite one to play live because it's like the only one that I've got any little section where I can get people to sing along, and it's always uh, it's always great fun doing that in live settings.
0: Yeah. Everyone should go listen to that. That that actually is my most played song Class. of all time on Spotify. And, uh, like, you know, most people would say, yeah. you know, whatever. They're your friends, of course it is. But I, I had no idea. I didn't think you... I mean, I love you now. Thanks, but bro. Aside from you, yeah. I don't listen to indie. Um, mm-hmm. Just, like, off my own bat. So for your songs to be popping up in my, like, my number one my top five songs (laughs) kind of surprised me but I was also delighted of course Um, and I think sword fighting might be one of the best things you've put out so I just want to ask you a quick question as well you did was it music technology you did in Maynooth?
1: Yeah so in in Maynooth I studied um, I did a double major so I studied anthropology and music technology yeah Um, anthropology was kind of just you know my favourite of all the random other arts degree parts that I had to do because um, I had to do a double major for some reason. But uh, I ended up actually really enjoying anthropology. It's one of my favourite sort of Yeah. Sounds really sort interesting. Of academic. Yeah, so sort the of academic subjects aside from music. So But yeah, no, primarily the reason I got into into the idea of studying music technology was because of um in transition year sort of amidst all of my edm production and when i sort of started to produce a little bit of indie music and that i worked in um, a studio in town in dublin called lime studios and i I ended up working on um a show that actually went on rt it was don't tell the bride
0: oh yeah you know
1: yeah i ended up doing the, the mixing and the my job was basically to um pick songs for situations so they'd originally mixed like all of the um all of the episodes with songs that were charts songs and um there was something wrong with the licensing for them so i had to like find stock f- versions of songs for uh f- to re- to replace the chart songs and it was i don't know it's, it's really funny like just the way um uh, like, the difference that the background music can have, like, if, if for example, let's say you'd have, like, a scene of, of on Don't Tell the Bride of, like, a man, it'd be, like, cutting between, like, the wife talking about what she wants, and then the man talking about what he thinks his wife wants. Sure. And you'd have, like, some, like, I don't know, some generic pop music for when the girl is talking, then you'd have some, like, jangly country music when the man is talking just so it makes the man sound like stupid or something because he's, he's way off but if you actually just play them without any music it just seems like a like a boring interview but if you kind of like add that little bit of like, I don't know <laughs> silly sounding music to the background it just makes the man look like an idiot <laughs>
0: yeah of course it's like a laugh track but
1: yeah yeah i sorry I got a bit derailed there um, so yeah that's, I was working on Pro Tools and that one which is a it's like the industry standard software and um yeah that's that was a uh, someone who worked professionally as an audio engineer he's he, i think he still works and he's got a, the guy i was working with still owns his studio and then the other people i was working with have opened up more studios and i went and met up with them somewhat recently in the last like two years or so so yeah that's kind of like just that was always like the end goal it was like um Consistently have some form of uh, well, actually, not even not not even to do with the income. Just constantly have some musical projects going, uh, sort of on the side, that would hopefully amount to some money, and then to some, hopefully, work professionally as a as an audio engineer who works on um, like television shows and stuff. That was always the sort of the motivation behind going to college to study music technology. So,
0: yeah, because I was going to ask if you ever like were you wondering maybe when you did you even about doing something like BIM? I know a few people do that or like pure music. I know Kieran's sister does that, our friend. Um, Yeah. But you felt that you'd get more studio time and just like spend more time in that professional environment if you did music technology, obviously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, um, so when I initially went looking for music technology um, as a, you know, what, what the best, um, path for that was in um, Ireland. Like the ones that came up in like sort of surface level research that you do would have been uh, like either BIM or like a few one year courses in town or else one called post college that's like I think it's cost like 8 grand a year or something to go to post college.
0: Everyone in the sort of media industry is familiar with that place.
1: Yeah exactly. And um, then I just went and talked to um one of the the studio engineers in that I worked with in town, uh, Keith, and he said that he's hired a few of the pulse engineers, and they're all they've all been shite, like just no, not had a fucking clue what they're doing. And uh, he said all the BIM people, he, um, he like he he says they just also just don't have a fucking clue what they're doing, and they, it seems like they just don't really have anything thing to show for the time that they spent in college whereas i don't know i like i went to my news open day just to see what the college was about and just immediately i was just so fucking taken aback by how um how much you cover in that course and how much i've learned from that course it's like you study like you learn everything in the first year through analog which is like the old mixing desks and stuff like that so, like, before digital, com- like, computerized um, production happens. And that's what all of the softwares for um, modern music production is des- designed around. So, like, you know, if you were to just, like like they do in Pulse, um, uh, I don't really know if they do this in BIM. I'd say they probably do. But they just have you straight away working on software. And then there's just all of these weird sort of, like, like interfaces that exist through software that you don't really understand why they exist like that but if you were to learn it through analog you'd understand like the whole thing Um I don't know if I re- really explained that very well but yeah basically I think it's an amazing course Um I've learned so much from the minute course that I carry into my day to day like everything that I do on um, a day to day basis with production and stuff like that Um can for 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 the most part be traced back to minutes and then also like you just get so much extra stuff that you wouldn't get um when you think about an audio engineering course like we learned how to code c sound which is like c code and it's like it's like um synthesizing it's not just synthesis but it's like synthesizing sound through computers with like uh, i don't know, like opcodes and stuff like that and uh yeah it was really fucking cool i suppose what i'm trying to say here is if you're like a, <laughs> a kid that hasn't gone to college yet or if you even if you're not and you are thinking about going to study anything even anything music related in college i think um go do music technology yeah in minutes because i think it's absolutely class then actually the only thing it doesn't have is it doesn't really have any contacts for you after college um, which is what yeah. occasionally happens with like I don't know, I suppose you hear about that in tr- Trinity and stuff, just people getting hired off the bat with their um with their degrees, but yeah, in terms of just information or just stuff at hand that you can use. Yeah, Minutis. It's great.
0: Great. Yeah, so <laughs> I just want to uh, talk then about like I guess your career is the best way to call it. So you, you your first EP is called The Boat, right? Mhm. Um and that that features Sword Fighting, again my most played song ever. So like maybe do you want to talk us through kind of the creative progress process, excuse me, of someone kind of making their first sort of record. You know, especially uh, sure. you, you were you were young enough like, I mean, you weren't a kid, but I see yeah. you, <clears throat> you had I see you learned a lot on that, did you?
1: I did. I tell you, I probably learned the majority of the type of production that I do now amidst the creation of that track. And actually, the weird thing about that track is um, so I released my first EP, what was it? It was 2018 in the summer. But I wrote Sword Fighting before. I wrote and for the most part produced Sword Fighting before the Leaving Cert, which was how many years ago now? We did, we did
0: our leaving in 2016 so for
1: 2016 years. yeah so yeah. that song was just sort of sitting on a hard drive sort of mostly produced but not like really polished off for the most part of two years um and then <clears throat> when i went to college i met my good friend mark mark duggan he's also uh, an artist on spotify and he's yeah he had um so he he has a an artistry under the name Mark Duggan that he's sort of pushing uh, for the most part now. But when we first went into college, he had a yeah. It was kind of like an like a, a psychedelic rock band sound called Elephants in a High Tree on Spotify, and it was he it was pretty huge. He's got like I think I remember correctly, he had like 40,000 listens on some of his stuff Damn. yeah but so that. yeah so um, he, he doesn't work with that artistry anymore at all but I remember just being like completely taken aback and I'm like I don't know I just immediately thought like holy shit Mark might be my end to the music industry because I think like most people think they see someone having and releasing their own music um, you just assume that they've gotten like yeah, you know, discovered by an AR guy or something. But um, now it was kind of Mark that opened up the um, the whole world of running a running and owning a solo label to me, which is uh, yeah, it's fucking class. It's one of the best things about modern music. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose what that is is uh, if you think of the music industry, maybe. 10 years ago it would have been like the top 100 artists would have just owned like all of the money and they would have just had like basically like the entire charts and stuff like that would have been controlled by you know this like the almost like almost like how hollywood would control and they're like blockbuster films and stuff and they'd own all of the publishing rights and stuff like that just because of how iTunes would work and just how music was consumed as well with, like, radio and stuff. It was so relied on um, contacts and, um, you know, I suppose... Uh, yeah, basically just contacts. <laughs> and then when Spotify came along, it allowed for people to sort of run their own sort of music... Uh, labels as though like you know you'd have like your let's say you'd have Dunn's stores would be like an exact the the um right Dunn's stores would be like the fucking the chartsy people and then you'd have someone who runs like a corner shop but still makes a living that would be the people who are running their solo labels so like instead of like one like instead of like one artist owning like millions like Ariana Grande or something like that you could have like a nice decent level of income it's a lot more work because you have to run everything by yourself Um, yeah of course but yeah you can, uh, you can make your own sort of living off music now and you don't and often what happens is uh, that builds over time too it's not just like you sort of uh You know, if your your music is good enough, it eventually builds into something where you probably will get contacted by bigger labels and stuff. And yeah.
0: Yeah, that's actually, I was going to come back to that point later on. You you just hit it um, early on. I was going to ask you, you know, I've heard a lot of people lately saying that art is becoming democratized. I think I said that word right. um, Nice. I was kind of like, you you know a lot more than me. Do you think that holds true in the music industry? Because like we see guys like Chance the Rapper who, uh, you know, just became absolutely massive, and I don't think he's signed to a label, is he?
1: No, um, now like it's kind of it's kind of a weird one in that like he's so big now that I, I'd say he just has like he he has um, like a manager and stuff, and then he just yeah. do like sync deals instead of um, like um, it would basically be like the same. Like let's look at a Hosier, for example. Hosier is signed to a really small Irish label called Ruby but he's done like American tours and stuff like that under Sony so it's like these uh, shared contract clauses where he isn't, he isn't owned by Sony or like um, what are like the bigger labels I'm blanking on them at the minute
0: like Warner and stuff w- yeah like
1: Warner and like because Sony and Warner Brothers and um Interscope and all of them, they're meant to be so, like, just soul-crushing to work for because everything is just, it's like they discover someone who came up through their own, like, self-discovery and then once they have them and sign them, everything is, like, just being orchestrated by, you know, all of these uh industry professionals that, yeah. you know... pulling strings behind the scenes and stuff and trying to make things a certain way and yeah um the the black keys are kind of like a a good example of that and that they've always just said like absolutely fuck off if you think you're gonna (laughs) tell us how to make our music and then like this year they had a big thing um where they brought a record to I think they brought a record to a few like indie labels and stuff and they've always gone with indie labels because they hated the idea of going with a big label that like tries to tell them what to do and I think a few people were just like oh this isn't the right sound or something for blah 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 and they were like fuck it we're just going to open our own label and they did and uh, yeah their album did really well this year yeah,
0: fair so, yeah so, it's much cooler to see yeah, so I think like a big part of that surely has to be um, internet. The internet like has has made that possible. Like, yeah, um, definitely. No way, someone in the '80s could have just like done what you've done, I guess, um, and just no. lash the music up on Spotify. You know, I mean, not to say that eventually they w- you wouldn't have been picked up by a record label, but I mean, just mm-hmm. trying to you're you're definitely more able to make your own opportunities nowadays. I feel
1: you are, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, um, I suppose you'd have a person sort of, you would need a lot of money in the first place to start off compared to like now, like everything that I've started off with is like for the most part being like I had to pay for some paperwork and stuff to get my label set up and stuff, but you just do it through like a music curator now. It's so easy. And, um, Yeah. Our, our, my record label is called Derek Cartel. If anyone was <laughs> interested, joke. inside joke. Um, and yeah, you, it's it's cool because it also if you get if you go through a curator and you do all the paperwork, like if someone just Google's you, you there's like a whole thing, a whole pile of results that come up. And yeah, I suppose that's kind of cool. Even like before any of my music was like listened, like literally the first week that I release my EP. <laughs> I was going around being like, oh yeah, Google me. And it would just yeah. come up as like musical artist. It was, it was cool.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that makes nearly like a little mini page for you, isn't it? Automatically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember we thought you'd made it when you, when that popped up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, so.
0: um, That's, yeah, there's the, then another point I was going to uh, talk to you about is um, how, what do you think the role social media plays in music nowadays? Because I feel meme songs are a huge thing at the minute like you look at the likes of like old town road um and then even people like megan the stallion or the stallion and lizzo well they well they put out like i don't want to call it more serious music and be rude to lil nas x but (laughs) they, they they maybe they put out a little a little bit more serious music but still memes are kind of uh Passing their music around in a way that certain yeah. artists don't get the benefit of. Like, there's no, there's no funny video, um, with a coronavirus caption uh, of an Ed Sheeran song at the minute. Anyway. No,
1: no, there isn't. And uh, you're dead right. There's, I don't know, it's say, a good like twenty to thirty percent of like, the top one hundred now are probably just people who were discovered off some stupid Vine style video. That yeah. was pretty funny There's a song That I've been listening to A lot by a guy Called Jack Stober um, It was just like This random meme Of this Asian man Dancing And his face Was like floating Across the screen And then he'd like Jump and catch his face And then like This <laughs> this music Was in the background And it was like That's hilarious And then I shazam The song And I saw that He's got like 150 million listens On that song and then I looked at, like, the, um, just the the increase of his listens recently and just the massive exponential spike in his listens has been, like, in the last month or two when that meme was going around. Like, before that, he was literally an artist that wasn't being listened to.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of crazy and, that yeah. kind of thing can happen.
1: Yeah, so maybe that's just, just the next thing that I will try to do. <laughs> Make yeah. a make a meme zone,
0: and uh, what what are what are your social medias there? Just just plug them. Well, on okay, the topic,
1: yeah. Here's some plugs. <laughs> so on Instagram, it's DunLovely, D U N L U V L Y. Yeah, on Spotify, it's also DunLovely, D U N L U V L Y. On Twitter, I think it's also DunLovely, D U N L U V L Y, and um, I suppose I have a Facebook page too. No one really uses Facebook that much anymore about the seams of things I
0: also have a tiktok but I have zero followers so <laughs> everyone follows tiktok gonna be everyone to follow me. my
1: tiktok yeah it's gonna be where I'm gonna get my For meme sure. we're
0: gonna have videos of lads dancing to done lovely songs yeah in the sleeves dance yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah, so like, I could talk all day about social media and the way it's changing our culture, but I'd end up just totally derailing our podcast here. So I'm going to okay. skip ahead to uh, closer to the present day, and you've released cool. a new song called "Paint My Mind."
1: I have, I have,
0: and just this has been reviewed on a gentleman called Finbar Hoban on his website. It has. And he is. Uh, would it be fair to call him a music critic? I think. Yeah, he's bit of an, yeah.
1: Like a, a, a music blog was would be kind of what his his website is.
0: Yeah, according to his website, anyway, he's represented acts such as uh, Fontaines D.C., Girl Band, Damien Dempsey, La Galaxy, and a, a whole load more. So, nice. I don't know if you what exactly he does. Maybe you know better, but that's a pretty impressive resume. Um, Thank you. Was that was that a big deal when you got that review? Did you feel it, it was?
1: It? Yeah, because it was my first um, my first response in my um, absolutely soul crushing PR campaigns that I run myself. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, just uh, it's like I suppose to give people a bit of a background on what it's like to um, release your own music in through your own PR campaigns is like you can pay like 500 quid to promote a single through an agency uh, and you just you sign away like any complaints that you can make about it not going anywhere and all that they'll do for the most part is just email your song around in this press release which would be like an article written um, just about the song and what you've been up to over the last year with some fancy photos of yourself. And, uh, yeah, they just send it out to thousands of people, and I suppose if they're well-established, you'll get some people to come back to you. So what I did instead, because I didn't have any fucking money for the last year, I've been the most poor individual ever. Um, I have constructed a fake PR, um, company called uh, DerekCartellPR.com and then um, I pretend to be our friend Kieran and um, I just use his phone number and uh, have an email set up and I just be like hey Kieran here I'm working with lovely as part of his thing and uh, yeah when I started doing that this year I finally started getting people writing back to me being like hey Kieran nice to hear from you blah 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 blah. Um,
0: that's really interesting. Yeah,
1: because what I used to do
0: all of the like,
1: the last few years has been like, hey, I'm doing lovely. I'm trying to get people to listen to my music. And you would send out like 4,000 emails as part of a PR campaign. And you would not get a single email back except for ones that are like auto replies. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm out of office at the minute or something. So.
0: Yeah, so like promoting yourself at the minute, would you say it's easier or harder than previous back in the day?
1: It's easier because I know what's a waste of time and what isn't. Um, It's also just like anything that you can find through Google, as in like uh, uh, an email address for like to send someone your PR release, usually you're not really going to get any response from it. It's it's all just stuff that you collect over time, like little little radio contacts and, like, um, like, you know, people who own blogs and stuff that have gotten back to you in the past. And I suppose you just have to fucking put in the errors. You just have to put in, you know a good few failed attempts before, and like I'm not for one second saying that I've had any successful attempts, like my music is still very, very um, low in terms of stream count and stuff, but, you know, in terms of getting established, I mean, it's like a, you know, pub scene and stuff, and um, getting to a point where you can eventually start making money off of live performances with uh, Spotify revenue or other forms of revenue. Yeah, it just takes fucking ages of just, um, sending out emails and shit like that.
0: So, you're, uh, you're very active uh, on the sort of gigging scene, I suppose. I've seen you in Workman's a few times. Yeah. Um, and you're around the rest of the country as well, places like Kilkenny, Caracassure, those kind of spots, aren't
1: you? Yeah. Oh, I've, uh, been gigging for quite, quite some time now, um, so, my first ever gig was in a small town called Carrick Unsure, which is way the fuck out there in the middle of nowhere. It's in Tipperary. <laughs> um, how I got that was, uh, one of my greatest friends and musical partners, his name is Ryan Fahey, me and him, pretty much for most of our... Um, the last three years where we've been performing gigs and stuff we have uh, played in a duo an acoustic duo with two two guitars and then both of us on vocals and uh yeah Ryan is r- originally from Caraconshire and uh, he was able to get us some slots in this tiny little pub called the Strand Bar and then uh, we started working our way through the Caraconshire music scene until we got a regular spot in this lovely bar called the Cooney's Pub um and yeah, it's just one of my favorite places to play. It's just this nice, long, uh, sort of almost like triangular-shaped pub. And um, <clears throat> we we had a regular spot there for about a year. And amidst that sort of time of us playing a, a regular spot, we were uh, also playing Waterford. Um, we played in Kilkenny as well. We played Menuth as well, Menuth SU, and then. I suppose the year after that was final year of college so we didn't actually do that much pub gig and we did it at the occasional uh, sort of gig around the place but I think in, in that year we gigged in Tala on one stage <laughs>
0: the Brass, the Fox, brass Fox,
1: is. Fox was the one I think you were at that game
0: was that the place? I was at that yeah, I took pictures yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that was a weird one that was like yeah I was just playing to an empty bar except for a few great pals who came along and uh yeah, the, your man wanted us to do a regular spot for, like, 100 quid. Um, and, like, for Ryan to come up from Kilkenny to get, like, 50 euro it wasn't really yeah. worth it, especially in just, like, I don't know... Yeah, I didn't really like the guy anyway, the, the pub owner, so I'm kind of glad we didn't take that one. But, um, yeah, since then, then over the course of final year, we actually started getting some traction in Maynooth, and we ended up... Um, I think I played a few solo shows in the actual SU venue, which is like the, definitely the biggest venue I've played so far. And um, yeah, they asked me to come play at like a fashion show. And um, we did like a support act for a band called Just Like Us. you are like this big. Um, <laughs> they're they're these lads that sound like picture this. They really don't like when you say that, but uh, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> um. Then I, after that, um, me and Ryan played the SU Bar a few times, we got called back to play the SU Bar, and then I played the SU Bar solo by myself one time, with me and my loop pedal. And then... That was a great gig. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I think you're also at that one. Um, but we have since started playing with one of the best musicians I've ever met, his name is Christian Connifer, he's a drummer, Um uh, he's he's a jazz drummer and mother of God, you will not find a better groove in a musician. It's uh,
0: it's amazing. <laughs> Christian's a funny guy. He's, he never he really seems to stop moving. Suits the drum right Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, fucking man. You are nailing all my topics today. You're talking about these other musicians that you work with. Yeah. Um, some of the some of the main ones. Well, uh, maybe not the main ones. The ones I've I've seen you play with are. Um, Baby Lamb. Yeah. Great guys. Um, put on a really good show on Workman's. Yep. Mark Duggan, of course. Great guy. Ryan Fahey, sound bloke, great musician. And then Elkin. Uh, you guys are, are pals yep. as well. You've, you've uh, been together. Um, do, do you think you guys have influenced each other, maybe? Uh, yeah.
1: Um, i influenced each other. I don't
0: know if it's too early to say that, maybe. Yeah, it's so. not all of you have, like, music out. Yeah. Um... So, in terms
1: of the people I've worked with, I'm a, lot, I'm a lot closer with Baby Lamb than I would be, with, for example, with, like, I don't know, Elkin. Um, I'm really good friends with Ellen from Elkin, and uh, I know Carla pretty well. They're, they're just both really, really cool people. Um, but with Baby Lamb, I'm just really, really good friends with Toby, the lead singer, and then Alicia as well, one of the singers. Um and then their guitarist Keen, and then Reen, who's like their producer slash Ableton wizard when they're playing live. Um, yeah, they're all just amazing people. Um, definitely should go check out their music as well. It's on Spotify. They've got one track on Spotify. They got really really big this year. Yeah, called Body Right. And also they accidentally sent me um, some demos. <laughs> they meant to send it to someone else but they accidentally sent them to me <laughs> and I got to listen to them and they're fucking class so they've a lot of great stuff coming as well um, in terms of influence yeah I definitely would say that we've influenced each other in an aspirational sense like I don't know just with conversations with Toby and stuff and like and and, and Leisha about what it, it means to be a musician would definitely have had a very positive impact on me and I can't remember. So I released a song called Caustic Love about three months ago now. It's a very sort of folky track. Um, and it was one. Of, it was kind of one of my favorite tracks I've ever written from a folk perspective because growing up, the main sort of musician that I would have listened to would have been Damien Rice. And, um, in folk, anyway. And his sort of acoustic sound comes across quite well in that song. And I put I put the song out and I didn't have any money to put into promo for this song. I just barely I basically just like sent out emails and hope for the best and um in terms of like a Spotify success it was a complete flop and it like never really got to anything that would have brought in any money and I was pretty like I was pretty down about it after after the release. But then I was just talking to Toby <laughs> about that and he was just telling me about how it was one of his um favorite songs at the minute and how it just it doesn't really matter because you know it's it's still uh, uh, you know an expression at the end of the day and it went out there and as long as I enjoy the music it's still it matters you know what I mean because yeah because that's that's the the other thing about you know yeah like actually that's another weird thing like sometimes if people ask you like do you listen to your own music? <laughs> and so I was like, or do you like? Do you ever get sick of listening to your own music when you're like editing and stuff? And I was like, no, not at all. <laughs> like I'm making music that I think is class. Otherwise, why the fuck would I not put it out? Or, or why the Fair. fuck would I put it out? Not in any like um, I don't know. Like I think it's it's stupid to be like, oh yeah. Like, it's stupid to be humble about your music because you wouldn't release it if you didn't think it was good. If that if that makes sense, you know.
0: Yeah, of course. And you make the. Yeah, music exactly. You
1: and like, I as well suppose as your music at the end of the day is just an accumulation of all of the um, cool sounds that you found in other musicians' music, and then you've brought that music isn't a word, but brought that together into this sort of conglomerate song of all your favorite bits. In a lot of ways, so like, why would you not yeah. listen to it? So, um, I like so, yeah. that
0: idea. You uh you said in that in that uh review on the Finn mm. site he had a quote from you and it's uh it says, Staying true to your core values is my eventual deduction by the yes. song's end. <laughs> I think that was referring to painting your yep. mind. Um but yeah, I just th- when I was doing um like research for this uh podcast and I was, you know, trying to trying to figure out um I guess yeah. what we talk about I, I spotted that and uh I already already thought that was nice, I really appreciated Tell that uh, feeling. And you were talking about how, like, um, Caustic Love didn't as do as well as you hoped. And, you know, it's funny, you, you might put out something that you thought was brilliant, you know, in your eyes um, is the best thing you've done, but it might not perform the best. And how... I, I have written here, how do you maintain your creative energy? That's very, like, chi-talking or something, I don't know. How, yeah. how, do you, how do you keep your spirits up, I guess? Or like, um,
1: I suppose I just have to yeah you just have to basically like um (laughs) yeah when so sometimes like if i was to reflect on a couple weeks and realize that i've been like you know thinking about things in a negative way or like just getting getting like pissed off that my music hasn't been going anywhere it's sort of it's it's just it's a it's a skewed way of thinking from how from why I became a musician in the first place like I suppose like why I became a musician uh, I remember for all of my teenage years it was like something that I wanted to do with just this really sort of um you know idealized uh like goal of someday getting uh, validity from other people listening to my music and then eventually at a certain point I just had like a bit of a suppose like an epiphany or something or like a moment of enlightenment in that like that is just such bullshit and if that is like your reason to become a musician there's no point in it because you're never going to attain that validity ever and the only reason that you should ever be a musician is if you just thoroughly enjoy playing music and creating music that's like the only motivator You know what I mean, and like it was that that like accumulated over the few years of just like playing with like Ryan, in our duo, and just getting um just these absolute moments of euphoria as the two of us just fucking like kill a song (laughs) in that live moment of just like um you know just you know creating something new and you know that that euphoria that that I get it every time I play with Ryan and Christian in our in our uh, sort of band setup we just we just have such yeah. good groove together and it's that like i wish everyone could experience that um like i know a lot of people who aren't musicians i suppose like I've, I've always struggled with how like to describe this to people like just getting having like an amazing jam with someone and like coming up with something new it's just the best feeling ever <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's there's been times for sure that I haven't seen a gig uh, that yeah. much actually for some of friends with you, but um, for sure, especially your last gig and workman's there, there was points you hit with certain songs or or like certain moments in, in yeah. songs where like you can definitely feel the energy in the crowd and that yeah. was um, something really cool to feel in not such a small crowd but I mean you know we're we're kind of. We might imagine for people who don't go see live music in smaller gigs like uh, Workman's or Wheelan's, they might imagine that that kind of energy is reserved for like stadiums. Yeah, no. but no, for sure, like you can definitely feel that crowd like swelling at certain yeah, points because yeah. um, the music is just so like it, nearly it feels does, more exactly. In those settings and just how
1: sound can just take over a space and um, become something shared by like 40 or 50 people. It's just an amazing feeling. It's just everyone gluing together on the same focus. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the reason that I'm a musician. Um, And then sometimes I start slipping back into those like sort of juvenile ideas of like juvenile is the wrong kind of word. Just like very sort of um, poor, yeah, simplified, poorly thought out ways of thinking uh, in terms of like you know rating yourself off of your Spotify. new stream count or something like that and like while that's good for the money that's coming in at the end of the day like I'm still pretty sure like myself and like Ryan make more money being musicians than the likes of um, you know other musicians that we'd know um, who'd be like a, a little bit further in terms of stream count than like My dumb Lovely Music but they wouldn't make any real sort of money because they're not doing like live gigs or anything like that, you know what I mean? Like, there's money to be made, yeah. you know? And, um, it's, you know, obviously if you're just like fucking unemployed and making zero money off music and it's all that you're doing, you're going to feel shite. That's just an inevitability. But, um, yeah, what's my main point here? <laughs> like, <laughs> is reminding myself of them values and i suppose how i get to that is um just like meditating and stuff like that and just bringing like i keep um I, I, i keep a good few journals but one of my most important ones is a journal that i call my philosophy journal and it's not it's not really philosophy it's like just basically all of these like moments of enlightenment that i've come to and i just sort of Put them in. If it's really important to me, I, I put it in this journal, and then I can just sort of go to this journal if I think I've strayed from my like my musical values, and um, just remind myself of why I do it in the first place. And then, like a I don't know, like a half an hour of reading and an hour, just an hour in a day set aside could give me like a couple months of just having such clear perspective of where where I want to go with things. Yeah, that's very cool. I
0: mean, like. No, uh, not to bring it back on myself, but I've 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 written sort of stories and books since I was yeah. eight, I'm pretty sure. And um until I don't know, how recently. After I finished school anyway, so probably the last four years yeah. or, or less, um, I guarded the like notebooks that I wrote in like with my life. Like there would be digs thrown if someone tried to open the first page yeah. on those notebooks. And um now, more recently, I've kind of looked into maybe – publishing is the wrong word – maybe putting some of the stuff yeah. I write out there, and it's given me, like, fucking anxiety, man. And then I just have to think back to, like, the 10-year-old kid who was just, like, writing crazy stories about goblins mm. taking <laughs> over the world um, and just loving every minute of it. And I think, like, that's that's something as well that um, it's an idea that I have had to – relearn um and chasing 100 is actually part of that so it is relevant that just because you can't be the best at something or or even just because you can't be considered the best at something by like the public doesn't mean it's not worth your time i mean oh i don't even know what division my football team plays in but like i love every second of it um and it's like good crack with the lads you know Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you do it you don't have to. You don't have to be a a Premier League footballer, a, a, a inter county player to enjoy sport. You don't have to be Ariana Grande or or Dermot Kennedy to enjoy music. Because like, I mean, I guess ho- hobbies are kind of what yeah I'm exactly for in a way exactly. Um, and I would always think that like you you don't have to be the best. You mm-hmm. just have to be better. Like that's you know when I if if I was to um think i start off saying i have to be the best uh youtuber in the world i don't even like call mm. myself a youtuber content like, creator my videos have content creator sure i think they have 2000 views altogether um yeah that's very nice i really like that and I, it makes me happy but if i was to compare myself to other people or, or like particularly compare yourself to the top rung of people you're gonna get tired of that very quickly and i think that's probably the same with you like you know, you just got to look at what, how you're doing at yourself p- in previous exactly, times. Maybe, exactly. Maybe because you don't, you don't have the same streams as Ariana Grande or Jim Kennedy, but like, I don't know, your music is objectively good and people like it and yep. it makes you happy. Like how, how can that be wrong? Exactly. How can that be bad? Um, and that's something that impresses me about you, that you have that same mindset, I think. And, um, I thought that was why that it would be a good idea Thank to you. bring
1: you on. Yeah. Um. Interestingly, with um, with Dermot Kennedy, um, our good friend Jack sent me a, an interview of his. It was probably about a couple of months ago now, and it was just like Dermot Kennedy, basically, like talking about his last few years, and he went on to just um, describe how he's been for for so many years before. You know, he he was Dermot Kennedy that everyone knows now. He was just doing what I do, <laughs> and that was that was really cool to see. Like he just was just yeah. running a solo label, getting load of gigs in like pubs and like just anywhere that would really take him. And uh, then he, he he spoke about how it eventually came to a stage with a solo label where they were getting so much Spotify listens that they could see they had a good listenership in London. And so he made like he had like a he he set up like a solo show in London and um, then it was only sort of at that stage that um, when he'd well established himself then like then when labels were coming to him being like okay we'll offer you this he said that if he had just been a kid who was like at the beginning of his his um, his solo label, he would have just jumped on that opportunity. But because of the experience that he'd laid out for himself, just having his own solo label, he was able to then look at what (coughs) the uh, labels were offering and be like, okay, we don't want this. We want a little bit more. And when sort of more offers started coming in, he had a much broader perspective of what, you know, what was the right contract to take. And, uh, yeah, actually, I don't know if you remember, but before the workman's gig in February, I posted a photo of Dermot Kennedy playing in the same room on Instagram.
0: Yeah, th- you know what's funny is um, my cousins were really? at that gig because I'm going to do... I love hand-dropping, <laughs> my cousins. Uh, they're they're okay. friends with them, and they were joking at Christmas when I was over in their house. They were saying, oh, like, we remember the days when you had to be dragged yeah. to do a Dermot Kennedy gig. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, Dermot's having another gig. We better go better That's go hilarious. support him. And, and then... Like, a year ago, they were backstage with him in, like... I don't know if he played Madison Square Garden. I think he did. I think he did. venue in New York. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he sells out stuff like that. But that, I think that goes to show, like, it's so, so typical. They are like, as usual, you know, the media and stuff is saying, Dermot Kennedy, this brilliant overnight Irish success, and they're, like, it's for like, seven mm. years or something, however, however fucking long he took him overnight. Like, he he really grinded, and uh, it, I think it has really yep. paid off for him because he only he only actually like officially released music pretty mm-hmm. recently i think um or yeah, like an yeah. album i I mean i don't know if i don't know if he counts anything before that no. as albums um so like man fair play to him he just he just built and built and i would hope that you uh are following yeah. after him yeah, and well, uh, what is it? Work till your, till your idols become <laughs> your rivals, as they say. Yeah, I feel like he'd be too nice to be a rival. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I, I've heard he's a, a yeah. really sound lad. But um, that is actually pretty much the okay. last question I have for you, um, cool. written down anyway. How do you think the Irish music scene is right now? And you can answer that with regards to the pandemic or, or maybe like we want to park that and not fucking hear about it anymore and just you know uh even when you did the workman's gig like do you think more like a good amount of people are listening to live music or like do you think there's i guess i guess i'm saying do you think there's an appetite for like smaller live artists yeah. in
1: Ireland? um yes okay cool cool i suppose i'll I'll park, park, sorry, no, park uh, touch on both of them a little bit um so with regards to the pandemic um, I think a lot of people are just piling out content at the minute in terms of the pandemic, and I think a lot of it's being pretty well received um, like the, 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 the sort of the live shows and stuff that people were doing on Facebook and that they were they were pretty nice for a while there.
0: Um, I suppose you know,
1: like, excuse me, seeing so many people put out content. Um, can feel a little bit weird, I suppose, because it's just kind of like oh Jesus, everyone's like jumping on this train. Um, but also it's good to see because it just means that everyone, the world is becoming more creative in that everyone's hold up, and they're they're um they're a little bit sort of stuck in what to do with themselves, and so in response to that, everyone is being creative, which is great because I think if there was anything wrong with um world as a whole (laughs) before this pandemic it was that just uh, people sort of just curb creativity after the age of 20 Um, and they just get pushed into you know corporate jobs and stuff like that that you they just work for you to not be creative I suppose I had like a similar sort of disagreement with our friend Sean recently he was saying about how he thinks that you just stop being creative um, after like a certain age I think he was saying and then I was my response was like how can that be true if it's literally my job is to be as creative as possible <laughs> and um, <laughs> if anything it's developed to a hundred times what I was when I was a kid you know what I mean I think he just gets yeah. that perspective from the like a uh, shoehorn Um society that we sort of live in so so I think in terms of the pandemic in that sense it's great everyone's uh, becoming a bit more creative but um Ireland's music industry I think it's sort of only really exists amidst their festival season um which is kind of sad um you can make a killing if you move to London um and that's what kind of seems to be what all Irish artists do. Uh, if you just either go over and start gigging in London and sort of work between both, or you just straight up move to London. Um, because there's just so much more musical opportunity in terms of performance. Uh, like, to do the small few workmen's gigs that that I've done, um, it's all organised by, like, me and, you know, people who have, like... You know, being really generous about helping out and stuff. You know, like you can, you can, uh, you know, yeah. you you can eventually get like shows and stuff, and that can be it can be pretty good. But you know, like how, how often do you hear about someone playing more than like six or seven headline shows in Dublin throughout the year? Not very often, you know. And
0: yeah, it's it's nearly a mark of a lack of success. Yeah, and
1: like you don't make that much off them headline yeah. shows in Ireland so
0: yeah there's there's a, a band um, you're probably going to know the ones I'm talking about and I, I don't mm. actually want to name them even though like there's no chance they're going <laughs> to listen to this uh, I still don't name them because I really like their music but they have been uh, just stuck in Ireland yeah. for years and um, they only gig here like all, all they ever do is just play like the um, INEC or Back up, play like Wheelands, yeah. The Olympia play uh, Castle Bar, play some place in Donegal, play some place in Belfast. And you're just doing laps <laughs> of the island. And, and would, they like would they play, would they play in Mayo
1: just to figure out if I know who you're talking about? They they have, yeah. <laughs> I know who you're talking about,
0: um, yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a shame because, like, uh, you know, it's it's the same. And like, my, my like area knowledge would be like film and TV, and it is just a disaster that, like. I mean, people people working here in film and TV because they're working yeah. here will obviously disagree. But like, if you look at the biggest success stories coming out of Ireland, the the answer is go yeah, work for
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Go move to New York. Yep. go move to LA. Like, there's. I mean, someone maybe someone is going to drop into the comments. I doubt it. Who's like I don't know who's listening, um, and correct me. But like, no, no, like international. Uh, acclaimed artist has ever popped out or no TV really or tv3 no um and i think actually in fairness to the music scene uh, i was kind of surprised that you said it's not great because i i maybe thought you'd uh think it's a bit better but i see where you're coming from yeah no uh,
1: like i don't i don't mean that it's bad yeah. it's a lot better than other countries yeah and I like, oh yeah vancouver yeah exactly like and if you <laughs> want if you want to play and if you take the same sort of values that I talked about earlier in the podcast about just uh, really enjoying playing, you can make a living and you can get to a level where you've built up enough contacts and you just get loads and loads of performances around the country. You're just never going to make so much that you're going to be able to retire early or something like that. And like that's kind of a thing that like almost needs to happen with musicians because... You know past a certain age, just people don't really take your music very seriously for a lot of cases, you know, yeah, so
0: they're, they're, i mean not not you know it's not a hard and fast reel, but I'm sure a lot of musicians kind of will reach a point where they have kind of run out of stuff to make nearly um yeah. you know I'd say it's it's one of those jobs where physically there's nothing stopping you from um staying. Uh, very good, or at the top for a long time, but yeah. I mean, from just what we see from like chart artists, even like they have a lifespan that uh, yeah, exactly tends to run out.
1: The only the only people that don't are the red chilli peppers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like they live for the word jamming and the groove, and <laughs> they just you just see them up there having a great time all the time. Uh, I think it's just because of that ideology that they, yeah. they're so successful they just fucking love playing music and that's all they do <laughs> so like
0: <laughs> they they put on great shows all right i, I yep. i'm not even like a, a fan like say you or like paddy is yeah but um when we saw them live that time like i was blown away like i could oh not believe they're amazing just like the musicality yeah with these guys and just how they can like stop
1: mid-show because one of them will like just play a little ditty and then the other one will pick up on that and just be like, ooh. And then they'll start playing like a bass line to it. And then they're suddenly just like creating a, like a, a full new riff just live on the stage. And then they're like, sorry, sorry, we'll go back to the show.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they played about four songs. When yeah, exactly. We saw them. The, the rest is like uh, freestyling. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's um, fucking amazing.
0: Yeah. So, like, do you think maybe. This is all off the cuff now. Where we've run through the topics. Do you think, like, say, partnering up with venues in the UK could be like a good um, in terms of, like, maybe if, if there was a Workman's Birmingham or, yeah. a, or a Whelan's London, do you think that could be a good option for Irish musicians, maybe to to like get their way in, or is or is booking not a problem? Audiences is the issue.
1: Yeah, it's it's more audiences is the issue. Um, so like a, a lot of what happens in our pub gigs and stuff is that we have to play like mostly covers and then throw in a few originals to get paid, which is like it can be a little disheartening sometimes if you, you it's still really enjoyable to play good music. But, um, you know, my favorite shows are obviously like the workman's ones where we get to play just a full set of my own music that I've written and, um. So yeah, I suppose that is probably the best option just to start reaching out overseas to um you know places in the UK that would um put on a lot of live shows and stuff. Um yeah, I'd say I'll probably at some stage go over to London to try and try my hand at the music over there. Because it's so yeah. it's so easy nowadays yeah. as well. Like you just have flights for the cost of a bus ticket, and um, you know, gear is obviously a problem. Um, with getting, you know, you you, know, you need a decent amount of gear to put on a show. But yeah, I suppose once you start getting established, you need to bring less gear to places and they have more gear there on yeah. spot, which is always nice. And then you still get paid, like for when me mean Ryan started pub gigs and stuff we bought our own pa and then like my small opal Corsa would have like fucking definitely not enough room to swing a cat let alone swing a mouse so yeah we'd um
0: the car need to be struggling with the speakers in the back
1: exactly exactly and then we'd pull up and like sp- spend like three trips coming in and out setting up our whole stage and then um you know now like playing workmans and stuff the pa is there and we just bring in a lot of our own gear still which is it's always fun it's always really fun you're just having the crack of everyone setting up and uh like and Manuth always have their own gear set up for us so and then like when we played waterford and stuff they had the p there pa they ready for us and yeah once you start getting bigger apparently the script have just like they literally just leave the hotel and they just arrive on stage. But I say it's probably like that for most big artists like them. They just arrive. And yeah. people have put new strings on all their guitars and set up all of their mics and everything ready for the show. So.
0: Yeah, like I, I saw I Arctic Monkeys in Marley Park back in the day. Mm. Um, I think that, no, it was the script for my first concert, actually. Oh well. That was my first, like, proper one that I didn't go with my family. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember being like, these guys are fucking rock stars. Look at the way they're just like, <laughs> they click their fingers and a, a poor little servant has to run out and yeah, change yeah. the guitars. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, th- like, and then... Like you said, like there was a lot less equipment. Thank God, you weren't bringing like a full PA. But mm-hmm. we, uh, I, I went with you to the Workman's gig that time oh, yeah, that and cool. helped yeah. you set up. And well, help is a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember if we parked. If people, I mean, no, there are there are American listeners. Um, but if people don't know where Workman's is, it's on one side of the River Liffey, and we literally had to like park the other side of the river and like run across the bridge and like back down the keys. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> with each piece of equipment.
1: Yeah, and, ex- and I was. <laughs> Sorry, go
0: ahead. Yeah, I was I was glad I didn't have to carry the bass amp that the oh other lads my were bringing God, in anyway. Man.
1: Ryan is such a beast. He just fucking... <laughs> <laughs> like there's no better man for like... It's like, right, no, I'm doing this. Don't worry, don't worry. He's just like sweating just getting the thing up there <laughs> but it's just on his shoulder or something. And uh, yeah, <laughs> the fucking trooper. And it's like yeah. that <laughs> every time we carry out the PA. He always carries like the two speakers and the PA all at once and it's just like Barely slipping out of his hands, but He just powers through.
0: (laughs) What a man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then there's Christian has his, like, trolley with uh, all of his drum gear that he was just bringing through town. And then when Baby Lamb arrived, they were just like, please tell me you guys have drums. (laughs) And we were just like, oh, yeah, no, don't worry. They're just uh, on Harcourt Street or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) They're on the way.
0: They're on Dublin bus. Yeah, so... um, yeah." Yeah, man, I it was so funny because like how many acts were there was there three or four acts yeah. that night in Workman's and when I was filming and taking the pictures, like I had my tripod set up mm-hmm. and I I was literally standing on everyone's like guitar cases and, and <laughs> piano cases <laughs> and I'm just like hoping the owners didn't come and have a freak out at me for standing on all their expensive yeah, yeah. equipment because like. So there's, there's, like, two keyboards, I'm pretty sure, bass guitars, drums, regular yep. guitars, yep. microphones, and I'm, like, in the middle of a fucking, like, in the bottom of a plane covered in luggage or something. But that's a, It was that's actually a, yeah. hilarious
1: for that first half an hour when I went up the... Just like first of all, Louise arrived. We should give Louise a shout out too. Louise Monaghan, her music is yeah, on Yeah, go listen
0: to Louise Monaghan. She's a, She's a really good artist. Yeah, um, met her at that gig. Yeah, so she's she that sound.
1: She was first up, and it was her first ever gig, and she was so nervous. And uh, yeah, I suppose it was really funny because if I if I like if I look back to exactly a year before that, we were all in the same room doing the setup, and I was the exact same as she was, just freaking out, like barely getting you know, a straight thought out and I was just like the 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 two two or three hours we had for start set up just flew by. Whereas yeah. this year I just rocked in like as though I was whacked or something and I was just fucking so chilled <laughs> out. <laughs> I was just like, Don't, don't worry about it man. I was just like, yeah man. And uh, yeah, I just had a great time. We were all eating Wow burgers, there's just fucking burger grease <laughs> on <laughs> that all of actually, the gear. Yeah. And um, yeah, we got it done like an hour
0: before the show and we got everyone like we
1: just had our little soundtrack and all yeah, that was crack.
0: That was that was a quality night, yep. in fairness and the, and <laughs> it's always like I, I I always wanted to play Workman's more. Yeah, not, not even so I can go see you, but like it's just such a a, a class spot. Now oh I did find God, out I mean. it's owned by Press Up, so fuck Press Up. Oh. Um <laughs> but Workman's is grand. Like we'll let Workman's over. What um, is Press Up? And they own they own like all. Um, they own Dublin, basically. Like they the own hotels Rauburger and shit. And they own, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, the other... Okay. All, all of their hotels have men's names and all of their restaurants have women names. So, the Dean Hotel and Sophie's. Um, Roberta's and... Harry's Hotel? Okay. Does that exist? But um, people people are just annoyed because, like, they don't like corporations, I guess. Okay, yeah. Um... But regardless, they they do a great venue when they we in going
1: and also it's and just um, it's it's amazing how you can just play a show and then they just lo- let you lock up the room, yeah, and then everyone just yeah. goes out and gets hammered and in work. Rooms. And like
0: it is, it is genuinely like as as much as some people might like to shit on it, like myself included, I've I've slagged them in the past, yeah, um, for being all like corporate and owned by this big like company, yeah, um, they really are like. Like, everyone knows in Dublin they have, like, the reputation for being so alt and hipster. They're, yeah. they're, they're just, like, a place where you don't have to worry about, like, being cool or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't have the same energy when you walk into workman's as you do in Dicey's. And that is, that is exactly what everyone... Um, who goes to work ones that I know has said to me, like over the years, they're like, Man, I'm just glad I'm in work ones and not like D2 or Dicey's.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, You, you just yeah. don't fucking have to worry about all the usual shite that goes on. No, yeah so yet. chill, like, and there's no like, it's
0: so chill, and they play real nice music.
1: Exactly, there's no like fucking blaring, like, remix of uh, sh- fucking uh, Sean Paul, whatever <laughs> going on. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. man,
0: it's great. <laughs> Yeah, like it's the type of place if, uh, well, everyone who's listening probably would have been except for the foreigners. Um, yeah. If you've ever come to Dublin, Workman's is a great place. You can hear like yeah, done lovely or like <laughs> baby lamb, or you could also hear like the DJs playing like New Order. Yeah. And, um, those sort of lads. So
1: there was a show on the same night that we were there by a band called Acid Granny, and they're hilarious. <laughs> oh, I remember them. They do a thing every Saint Patrick's Day where they do it. They take over Temple Bar and they just have a, like a shopping trolley full of like synths and they get a rave going in temple bar on paddy's day that's class <laughs> it's fucking hilarious you can see videos of it on youtube but um,
0: yeah speaking of temple bar like i wonder what what do you a, do? You think it probably will you i know you're a, a, a techno head to hmm. some extent um Izakai is one of our hangouts oh i love this guy um we all love his guy, man. Mm-hmm. Do you think these like licensing laws that let places stay open will be good for music? I mean, I can't see how they wouldn't be good for like techno nights and stuff. Do you yeah. think people? Do you think like acts like yourself, like indie and and, and maybe like alt rock, will will be booked a bit more because of that, or like no difference?
1: It, what is it? Is the licensing for errors being changed?
0: I I, th- I think everything. So at the minute, like. Every, pubs are meant to close. If people don't know this, pubs in Ireland are meant to close at uh, 12 mm-hmm. on weekends, which is a bit crazy. And then in town, <coughs> sorry, or other like places can have late licenses, which lets them stay open till different times. So I think yeah. people people not from Dublin are going to be a bit shocked. I'm pretty sure all nightclubs in Dublin close up at 2. Mm. Yeah, so I think it um, is. a like couple close at 3. Yeah, like um, coppers. And I think they're just saying if you serve alcohol, you can stay open until four now. I don't Fuck, know. Fuck, that'd be insane, man. Yeah, I don't know what stage they're, like, um, through in, like, passing this law or yeah. if it's actually going to go ahead, but I think Leo, the big man, was, was discussing it. Nice
1: Leo, the big party pants. The, the,
0: yeah, Leo, Leo loves yolk, everyone knows that. <laughs> and the, the shinners are mad for it because they're mad for the drink. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I don't know. I think, I think nightlife is a huge part of Irish culture Considering alcohol is such a huge part of Irish culture, yeah, yeah, um, and maybe I don't know. I've kind of just like rambled on about myse- this myself, but like, would you, would you play like a late night gig? I would. I'd fucking love
1: that. Um, I think yeah. We uh, we went to see we went to see Elkin, uh, There they did a gig that started at twelve. You know, I think that was in work for in Culture s- Night, was it? Yeah, was that yeah. And that nice. was that was class. Um, yeah, because we we like I don't know. I was telling everyone that they were playing, and like we were doing our usual sort of just arriving in town and just floating between venues. And um, yeah, I had like said, yeah, it's, "We all know that." Yeah, I, I had said that Elkin are playing tonight, and I wanted to go see them like early in the night. And people were like, "Oh yeah, yeah sure." And then it was like everyone was getting a bit hammered, and uh, sort of it felt as though it was getting towards the end of the night—not like the end of the night, but like the part of the night where usually we just stay in a place. And it seemed like everyone. Was sure that we'd missed Elkin's show, but then, uh, yeah, I was like, no, no, they don't start playing for like a half an hour, and I just managed to get everyone to go to the gig. It was class.
0: Was that in the uh, like the room in Workman's Was it? Yeah, was yeah. That a different time. Yeah, that was in workmen's. Yeah, I think I ended up there after like a twelve pubs or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, for I think like like I kind of rambled off there for for a bit asking about that th- question, but I definitely do think like myself anyway that. The likes of Elkin, you, Baby Lamb, well, they're not, like, stereotypically seen as, like, late-night music. Like, if you could get your buzz on yeah. and then uh, rock into town, have a little bit of a bop in, like, Izzakai or somewhere, and then head over and have, like, a little bit more yep. chilled out Just um, Like, sounds. European feel. I mean, like, yeah, 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 for sure. Like, I mean, you look at Berlin, like, mm. Berghain is 24 hours. Yeah, And exactly. it's, for tax purposes, it's a museum. That's, and that's not even like. I that's know that. not even like them being like sneaky fuckers. Like the the city council was like here, yous are a museum because these are so important to the culture <laughs> of this city. So <laughs> just don't that's pay. Any so tax.
1: funny. That is absolutely hilarious. I did not know that.
0: <laughs> and stereotypically, Germans are mad boring people. So yeah. What are, what are we doing? Like maybe <laughs> like oh, we just can't have like too much crack. I know. that's yeah, ridiculous. Get nothing done.
1: Yeah. Um. Sure. Like, there's been a few gigs that we played. Uh, we played a pub called Tully's in Waterford and it was like half twelve and like it it was a real nice game we just got to play like all of our own stuff and like the the great thing about Waterford it's a real good city for appreciating music and letting people just play their their own music but at the end of the night there was just a load of hammered lads just like just dancing in front of us (laughs) and Ryan just like looked at me and was like Oh, God, we got to play Oasis. <laughs> we just ended up playing some Oasis. I can't remember what we played. It was like, Don't Look Back in Anger, and all of the lads were just screaming, hammered. The lads were just like, i so sad, I can wait. And uh, in the middle of the song, the uh, pub owner just pulled the plug, and he was just like, sorry, lads. It's like... <laughs> nearly one yeah <laughs> and uh all them howard labs are so annoyed <laughs> they're just like yeah what the fuck of course like fucking
0: yes yeah. i mean that's that's a sh- like i understand totally like a lot of pubs are, are run by like people you know that are a little bit older and mm. it's just a job for them they don't really want to be like stuck with all the punters yeah. into the early hours in the morning like, yeah. it's a it's a late enough job as is like you don't even get off your shift until 12 on those nights but for the places that do stay open, like I think, like my local boozer is uh, the Blue Haven. Nice. And I don't know, I don't know if they'd be staying open till four now. No, no. But uh, if they like, if they could, and if they were like willing to, like it'd be a lovely spot to to spend another few hours in. Like you know, people. I think when people hear about the licensing laws, they're assuming it's all like young lads and young ones on on Harcourt Street and on uh, Camden Street yep. just like falling in front of cars <laughs> and yeah. vomiting and everyone. Mm but like I don't know I think I think that's because we we can't stay in the pub past 12 exactly like,
1: exactly that's why fucking Zaytune is so popping for about 8 yeah. hours into the morning and it's just such a horrible smelly place to be it's just the feeling of being raw and starting to fucking sober up after a night out yeah that's just I mean like if you're depicted if through you're Zaytune. an adult
0: and you have a a proper job like a full time not a proper job like a <laughs> a, a 9 to 5 like yeah. 40 hour a week yeah. office job that like um, not like us, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you want to go for your night out on Friday night or Saturday night. Like you want to go for your night out. Like you don't want to be told at twelve o'clock, like go to bed. It's mm. too late for you, boys <laughs> yeah. and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you should be able to do that in like a place like the Blue Haven or um, just like everyone's local pub. You all know like what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, I mean if you're from like the GOAT like say that's another one out uh, further towards the nicer parts of Dublin. Um, <laughs> but like, I think as as is, like people our age, people just from like the age of like 18 to 30, if they're on a night out, it's like, all right, uh, drinks in my gaff or at the local. Yeah, exactly. And then they're going to kick us out and then we have to go. Not we have to go to because that's always a, a class time. Mm. But like we we and then we go and we find a place like isakaya or, or, depending on the type of person you are, like D two Dicey's or, yeah. um, I don't know. On the millions of other places, Hooks is a, is a place I kind of like. Um, and and then you have to like, it's just it's just why why should your night out be in two stages? Mm-hmm, um,
1: exactly. And it's fucking annoying when you arrive at a place and it's like. 11 o'clock and they're just like sorry no you're not getting in so like what's the option then just to fucking stroll around town uh so many
0: nights out ended up like that for a long time i think also that helps for for all our younger listeners who are just getting into going on nights out (laughs) (laughs) if you want to get into places that aren't harcourt street i think from what i've seen is um I say this like the like the Isle Grandad or mm. something being mm. twenty two, but I, th- I think you kind of need to be a regular in somewhere to get in. Yeah, just exactly. So catch twenty two. Um, you know, like I mean, we got in, we got in after closing hours into uh, oh, oh, what's it called the Globe or or, or one of those. Um, yeah. Not not saying that they actually broke the law, but uh, <laughs> we we got in later than we should have because Kieran like defended the bouncer. From, oh my from god! Yeah, from trying to fight him, <laughs> like, she was
1: just calling. She's giving out. to yeah. him saying that he wasn't yeah, entering because she was like, a You've woman. You've been
0: here like all night. We should not just go home. <laughs> and and now now Kieran gets into that bar for free and yeah. uh, no questions asked. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, No, she was trying to um, she was trying to haze him. Not haze him.
0: What's the term? Yeah.
1: Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um Yeah, okay, so
1: hopefully hopefully Dublin is uh, it's already since the 24 hour 15 happened, it's already become so European in class for going on nights out.
0: Yeah, so. I, I I feel the the pressure on a night out has gone away completely.
1: completely. I think,
0: you know. Whereas th- in fairness that is that has improved like the the thing I was saying about having to split your night and having to be on the last bus into town so you could get into this nightclub and and it would all have to be, like, according to plan. When I mean really, like, I really doubt other countries have to plan their um, nights out like that. Yeah. I mean, when I was in America, it was even worse because everyone drives everywhere, so you have to park your car overnight and get an Uber home. (laughs) Like, everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Like, unless, I mean, I guess unless you live in, like, the city centre, like, LA or something, but... Yeah, America is yeah. so
1: shit for public transport. <laughs> it's so shit,
0: <laughs> full on, full on. It's like, uh, what the fuck?
1: How is this? They like the. Never uh, mind. I'm not gonna go on and rant about yeah, America. They have like,
0: they have like a, a Lewis kind of thing mm. that runs through Orange County, which is where my cousins live. And I was like, oh oh, right, yeah, there's, like, Ar- Orange County's really big, and it's just next door to LA, if people don't know, and, um, I was like, so yous get that then, like, if yous ever want to go in LA, because it, it literally, like, oh, man, my, I, my, my cousins live, and I'd say it, a comparable area to where I live in mm. Dublin like in relation to the city centre and it's like a four hour drive to get to the airport okay? Um because of the traffic so I was like so you get like that train then when he's going to town they're like oh no the nearest station for us is <laughs> 50 miles away I was fucking like fucking hell <laughs> so what's the point who gets it they're like, I don't know people who live <laughs> closer <laughs> than 50 miles to the station oh my god that's mental Um, yeah but I'm, I'm starting to ramble now um, yeah same again, I'm off track from um, the podcast and we've we've gone over an hour now so yeah um i think I, I i'm ready to call it if you uh, don't have anything else you want to say yeah no I'm, I'm good um cool please so, yeah so plug yourself there
1: yeah please go listen to my music um done lovely on spotify it's on any streaming platform that you can find um and yeah put it put it in your family whatsapp show your friends be be sound support your local artists um Cause uh, I wish I had gig dates to plug, but not going to have any of them for like a fucking year, <laughs> I'd say, a long time anyway. So yeah, um, yeah listen to, to listen to my music. Uh, also go listen to Mark Duggan's music, uh, Louise Monaghan's music, uh, Baby Lambs' music, and Elkin's music. All of the artists that we spoke about.
0: all, all great artists.
1: This evening they're all phenomenal, and they all and have great you music. You
0: have one song. that may or may not be released Um, that I am a big fan of oh yeah (laughs) so you don't have to you don't have to give the details but just there's a song that I've heard from Shane oh yeah it's in contention for my favorite song Thanks, of all time, Thanks, including um, Ariana Grande, my absolute favorite artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, genuinely, like it's it's in contention for the, the my favorite song that I've ever heard. And uh, so, good. just keep an eye on his Spotify in case he drops that. Yeah, I'm um, not going to tell you. I'm going <laughs> to tease it.
1: Yeah, I was going to I was going to sort of for the last like year or so, I've been pro- promising people to listen to my music mm-hmm. and album, but I have come to a stage where i've realized that that is not that ain't it chief and what i'm actually going to do instead is i'm just going to keep releasing singles and i think i'm hopefully going to release two eps over the next year and um, yeah i'm i'm loving all the music i'm making and i'm getting excited to put stuff out so come and see me
0: Shane, i really appreciate it no problem kane any have time made a pretty Top-notch podcast yep. for the first episode. Yep. I say for so myself, and that is all thanks to you. Thanks, thanks very much, nope. and uh, hopefully we'll we'll have more for you all to listen to again. Everyone, go listen to Shane. Yep. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Bye.